Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Hira Viesma. So Hira is a strength and conditioning coach at Sports Centre Papenau, one of the Dutch Olympic training centres, and he's the under-24 High Rocks world champion. Today we're going to discuss how he became world champion and how you can train for High Rocks to improve your performance. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Hira onto the show. So Hira, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invite. Thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick, quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, uh, sure. I'm uh, Hede Weersma, 25 years old. And as a job, I now work part-time at Papendal, which is the largest Dutch Olympic training facility as an SSC coach. And besides that, I also have my own company and I do SNC related stuff or people can come with uh, sports science related questions, uh, stuff like that. And uh, before I started working there, I studied human movement sciences at the Vrije Universiteit in Amsterdam, both the bachelor and the master. Absolutely excellent. So we're here to discuss high rocks, um, which is relatively new sport. Can you take us through your relationship with high rocks? Like why, why are we talking about it with you? Uh, yeah, maybe I, I will start with my background in sports. So first I did a little bit of athletics and football. Uh, after a while, I started strength uh, training when I was around 13 years old. Uh, so that was already quite early. But then after a while, I started to miss the endurance side of things. And my older sister participated in triathlon competitions. So uh, thanks to her, I also started triathlon. And for a couple of years, I combined uh, strength training and triathlon. But then two years ago uh, came High Rocks, which... Yeah, we will touch upon the exact uh, sport itself later, but it is a combination of strength and endurance. Um, so that, yeah, that's right up my sleeve. And I started doing it two years ago and uh, that was quite successful. Um, I'm happy with the performances I set there and I'm uh, now two-time world champion in the age category until 24 years old. So it's going good. Perfect, perfect. So what's what's the next steps as well? I mean, obviously, we're going to discuss how you're training and how you're working towards that. But um, you mentioned you're 25. You, you're world champion under 24. So uh, that's not going to happen again. Um, no, well, what, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> what, what have you got to do now? What's uh, what's the next steps in the, in your Hyrux career? Well, like the, the, the pinnacle of the sport is called the Elite 15. And they're the uh, 15 elite of uh, the 15 best athletes of the entire world can yeah, challenge themselves in that category. And the winner of that category is like world champion overall. So that will hopefully be the uh, the next uh, step for me. Absolutely excellent. How far away are you from that, if, uh, if I can ask? Uh, I'm now at the world ranking, I think, in place 23. Uh, okay. But I haven't raced this season yet. And I, I hope to be able to yeah improve my time. Uh, I'm quite new at the sport. So you do notice that you get a little bit better uh yeah quite easily over time and that it's not uh, you don't need hours and hours of practice to get one percent better yeah excellent excellent so obviously we, we discussed a little bit about what what you do and what what you've done until now but what is the sport then because there's going to be some people who are really into it and they're super excited to hear about how you train for it but there's going to be a lot of people who are like what on earth is that so yeah. talk us through what you do in this sport well, uh, like we mentioned before, it's a combination of strength and endurance. So you start with a 1K run 
and then you go to exercise number one, which I will explain later. And then you go to uh, another one K run, and then you go to exercise number two, and you repeat that until you had uh, eight times a one K run and eight times uh, a different exercise. And the different exercises are uh, firstly uh, 1000 meter on the ski erg, then 50 meters uh, sled push, 50 meters sled pull, uh, 80 meters of burpee broad jumps, uh, 1K on the row, uh, 200 meters of farm scary, 100 meters of lunches, and uh, 100 wall balls. And maybe also good to explain is that you have different categories. So you have the singles category where uh, differentiated in the open category and the pro category. And the difference there is actually only that the weights for the exercises are heavier in the pro category. And besides that, you also have the doubles category and there you can sign up with a partner. And uh, sadly for some people, you still need to run the entire 8K, but you can alternate the exercises between uh, you and your partner. So you don't have to do all the exercises by yourself. Okay, so when when you kind of piece all that together, um, what what does that feel like? Because it sounds dreadful. Uh, yeah, it it kind of is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what you do for fun, by the way. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. Um, well, especially like the first time, I was like sore for five days because during yeah because you have all those different exercises and all those different runs, you feel. Your entire body after a while is, yeah, it's just go going to get sore and it's hurting and your your heart is pumping and your lungs are starting to ache. But the the challenge is fun. The challenge is fun. Not so, all the exercises are fun. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound great. It sounds fun when it's over and like two days later you're proud of yourself, but like the, the first initial bit of recovery doesn't sound great. Yeah. But, um, well, you mentioned that it's, it's strength and endurance, right? So... Um, what are the physical qualities that you need? Is it just strength and endurance? Are there other, other factors that play into that? Well, just, um, well, to start, like, for instance, my best time in the singles pro is like 59 minutes. So it's a 59 minute continue, continuous effort. So first of all, you will say that endurance is probably the most important part for every other sport where you are busy for almost an hour, everybody will say, oh, it's an endurance part. So you need a high VO2 max. You need to be able to work at a high percentage of your VO2 max for a long time. And you need to be able to move efficiently. So all that energy that you can produce, you actually use to go forward or to produce power during the road. So that's the endurance part, but because there are all, the, all those different exercises, you need to be technically efficient at all kinds of different exercises and not only one and also in different kinds of like movements in terms of muscle contraction, range of motion, um, stuff like that. So you need to be quite versatile for a good Hyrox athlete. And yeah, we also covered the exercises just now. So you also for some exercises like the lunches or also the sled push and pull, which are quite heavy. You also need some strength or strength endurance. Um, how it depends a little bit on how you look at it. And what, um, what, kind of, what kind of weights are on the sled? Because yeah, that might give people a bit of an idea. Is, is it yeah. 500 kilos and you're just doing like one rep max, or is it just like uh, I don't know, 20 kilos and you no, kind of whiz through it? 
I, uh, I'm glad it's not 500 kilos. No, with the <laughs> Man Pro, it's uh, 175 kilos. It's on the sleds. And with the sled pool, it's 125. Uh, but one thing I do need to say is that during a high it, it is on a different kind of carpet that that it's usually in a gym. So when you have like that artificial turf, which is often used in a gym from the sled, those are easier than the carpet on the high rock. So then you easily need to add 20 or 30 kilos to your sled to get a little bit of same sensations for the sled. And, so it's, uh, it's pretty heavy, right? You're not moving that sled yeah. very quickly. Yeah, no, it's not, it's not that you start pushing and the entire 50 meters, you just go, you do need some moments of short rest uh, in between. And that's also um, yeah, important for the race itself, because during those exercises, you are forced to go a little bit into your anaerobic capacity. So it's not only a continuous effort in the sense of that you do different things, but you also need to switch between different energy systems during the race. So yeah, you need to be, uh, your endurance needs to be good, which we covered, you need to be versatile. And you need to be able to switch between those different energy systems during the race. So with, with those things in mind, obviously you're trying to do a lot of different things at once, right? So you need your in high maximal strength, high strength endurance, uh, some kind of resistance to um, yeah, lactate fatigue um, and aerobic endurance, which is all of the things. <laughs> so <laughs> how, do you, how do you go about training that? Uh... Well, it's, uh, thankfully not all of these things because I'm not a fast sprinter or a good, uh, my vertical jump is not very good. So I'm happy that's not included, but on the other side, yeah, you, you do need to train a lot of things and, um, yeah, it also depends a little bit how you train on your background. So when you talk with other athletes, some athletes train in an entirely different way than, than I do. And. I'm of course influenced by my triathlon and strength background. So I still do also a lot of work on the bike or, uh, I do also a lot of swimming in the pool and especially at the start of the season, I just work it like my aerobic base. So all, all kinds of low intensity endurance. And I actually also don't do that much of the specific high rocks movement. So then it's a lot of running, uh, bike swim and uh, max strength training. So I will combine those in my preparation phase, if you would call it that. And then, yeah, actually over time, I just start to do a little bit more high and, uh, high intensity work, a little bit more of high rock specific movements or circuits, uh, yeah, until the race. So that's globally how I plan over a longer period of time. Excellent. So let, when we break that down, right? So obviously yeah. we can touch on all of those different qualities, but let's start with the gym session. Um, what does a gym session look like for you then? So you're hitting maximum strength or you're doing the, the specific work. What, what might that look like? Yeah. So at, the at my preparation phase, I will start with like more traditional kind of strength training. So you can think like, um, yeah, five to eight reps of, uh, squats. Um, uh, I don't do deadlifts that much, but more trap bar deadlift or Romanian deadlift, uh, right uh right grip rack pool i like that one uh, a lot um and for upper body i yeah the especially the back and the shoulders are really important so i do a lot of uh, bent lay rows i really like or just strict overhead presses and um, that's like in the preparation phase and 
at the start, I tried to become stronger at those exercises, but after a while, uh, when I hit a certain, uh, when I hit certain weights and I'm happy about those, then I try to increase the volume with quite heavy weights, but I, uh, try to decrease the rest time between my sets. So then after a while, I'm, for instance, doing a, an EMOM, or you can also call it like a cluster set, but like where I do five reps every minute with 75% of my one RM. And then first I do every minute on the minute for five times, but after a while I try to do it like every 50 seconds. So then I will cut down on the rest times in between. And then after a while, uh, when the, the races are really getting there, then I will actually only do maintenance work. So maybe two or sets for lower body, um, a squat pattern and hinge pattern, a one leg of a one, uh, leg squat pattern and some upper body work. And then after that, I will do like a circuit with, uh, different high specific exercises and do that on a high pace. And when we, when we look at that high specific work, then what, what might that encapsulate? Cause I imagine at least you can't every single training session do uh, an entire high rocks. No, um, no, addition, uh, right? definitely not. So at the start, when I start to transfer a little bit more to the high specific work, I only choose for a single session, like two or three, maybe four exercises, uh, to rotate a lot about, uh, to rotate a lot of those exercises also because you then get a high volume of those specific exercises. And then only after the races are more approaching, then I will start doing some workouts where I do like maybe six, seven, or maybe even all eight exercises, but I don't do that that much. And wh why do you choose then not to do that? Is it, is it like a fatigue thing? Is it a, a, a total training volume things that if you, if you do a, a session like that, that you just can't recover in time for the next session? Yeah. Then in my experience, it's physically and mentally quite demanding to do all those different exercises in a single session. So I, I rather choose to have like a circuit more based on upper body. So then I will, uh, for instance, do my burpees, uh, farmer's carry and, uh, some wall balls where I don't do the entire squat, for instance. So that one really hurts my shoulders, for instance, uh, for instance. And then another day I will do a circuit where I do a lot of, uh, sled push, sled pull and some work on the rower, for instance. So that's really more lower body dominant. And then, uh, because I had that lower body dominant session, then the next day I still can have a decent session in the swimming pool or for upper body high rock specific movements or for an upper body strength, uh, session. So I'm interested to see how you piece all this together in just a second, but I want to touch on the endurance <laughs> stuff as well first. So. That's, that's kind of, that's your thing as well, right? So about yeah. triathlon background, you can do, um, yeah, your, your endurance work is, is really impressive, but what do you do in a week then? What does that endurance work look like? What are the kind of intensities that you're using? How, how does that look for you? Um, yeah, it of course depends on the period of the year, but at the start of the year, actually all my work is, uh, is low intensity work. And once only once a week, then I do a high intensity run, uh, session, but all the work on the bike, on the swimming pool, and also the work on the rower or the ski erg is all just easy. Um, and now, now I'm approaching, uh, approaching some of the races. So now it's getting a little bit more intense, but 
the volume of course for the swim and the bike will go down because those are not very specific and i do run uh now like around four times a week so that comes down to like 50 or 60 kilometers a week but actually still only one of those sessions is a high intensity session and i do that because i also have all those circuits which actually also are high intensity so in my opinion, I don't need more high intensity work than only one really high intensity uh, session for the run. And when when you look at things like uh, heart rate zones, for example, what what are, what are we thinking about? If you're doing um, sixty kilometers, um, obviously that's a, a decent number of hours next to all of your other training. Um, so what what are we looking at in terms of intensity there? Is is it like um, sort of zone two, really easy nose breathing stuff? Yeah, if you uh, would uh, view it from a five zone model, it will all be zone two work. So my heart rate will be around 135, 140, something like that. Yeah, so that's like uh, some kind of polarized model where you say the the easy stuff is easy and the difficult stuff is difficult. Yeah, yeah. And that's also like I only do one high intensity session, just like I mentioned before, you have all those circuits and also some of the exercises of high rocks like if you want to do the sled push or sled pull with the weights that you use for high rocks or also burpees you you can't really do those exercises in a low intensity <laughs> manner so you are already quite forced to do quite some high intensity stuff on if you want to train specific for high rocks so and yeah but you also need the endurance and for endurance you want just to make a high number of training hours. So therefore uh, I choose to do it this way. And how, how many hours a week in total are you training then? Um, in total is um, on average around 17, 18 hours. And um, I think around four of those hours are like strength work. And then I will have around, um, yeah, the rest is like, of course, endurance work. But I think like at the start of the sea, at the start of the preparation phase, around 90% of that is like swim, bike, run. But now I'm, I'm like at 60% is swim, bike, run. And the other 40% of that endurance work are like high rock circuits. And how do you combine that in a week then? So obviously like you've got a job, <laughs> you've got, yeah, you've yeah. got a, a part-time job in literally doing all of that exercise. Um, how does that look in a week? Because obviously the, the, the intensities are really difficult to manage. So you've got um, lots of high intensity work, especially when you come into an event. At some point, you're going to need to taper. So how how does your training week look when it comes down to planning those different moments? Well, uh, I don't have the job for too long, so maybe I will be burned out in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, no, um, yeah, so I... Of course, uh, think about very clearly, like, um, yeah, how how do I plan my week in terms of like, uh, like like I mentioned before, like how can I have a little bit of a lower body set, uh, training day and the day after maybe an upper body day. So a setup I like um, very much is do on Monday, for instance, uh, a long low intensity run. And then later in the evening, I can do just some upper body strength or some ski erg, or maybe even the rower or some farmer's walk. Those are fine, uh, even if you did the run before. But then the day after that, I will do a long session on the bike. 
just to pedal out a, the, a little bit the soreness of the run. And then later that day, I can have like a very decent strength, uh, lower body strength session. Um, if you eat uh, good during the bike and after the bike, but that's I've, very I've good seen manageable. You eat meat a lot, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the day after, so on Wednesday, I will do a swim uh, because then my legs are often sore. So, but then just swimming is entirely fine. And then later in the day, you can even again do a upper body strength day or do some exercises for high rocks, which are for upper body. And then on the Thursday, then my legs are rested and then I can do uh, my high intensity run. So I try to manage it a little bit in that way that um, after a strength session, if it uh, doesn't matter if it is for lower body or upper body, but the day after I want to give those muscles rest. And in my experience, I can easily manage to do first an endurance session on the day and later on the day still do some quite uh, good strength sessions, but I don't like it the other way around. Okay. And other people who then do that differently? Because you mentioned earlier that some people train entirely differently to this as well. So are there, are there other options? Well, uh, that's more, there are, for instance, some, some people coming with a CrossFit background. So you will see that they, they don't put all the hours on the bike or the swim or even a lot of hours on the run, but they get like a sort also aerobic stimulus from doing different kind of circuits, uh, which they are used from, from their CrossFit background. Um, so that's a little bit more how they do it differently. And something also, um, a lot of people do differently is that some people do way more high rock specific, uh, stuff over the entire year. Uh, but in my experience, that's quite like I mentioned before, mentally and physically, physically quite challenging. So, uh, but that's also a little bit, yeah. What are you used to do before you started your high rocks, uh, career to call it that? Yeah. I have my background in triathlon, so I know really well what, what a bike session or a swim session or a run session will do with me, but someone who has a more background in strength will have more experience with what those kinds of sessions, uh, will bring them, uh, so therefore you see that everybody sticks a little bit to their own background, but maybe in a couple of year times when the sports is more develop, uh, developed and more people are doing it for a longer period of time, maybe then people will also start to train differently for it. I do notice myself, for instance, that those high rock specific work starts to get easier in terms of, uh, of doing a, a, some sort of volume. I can do more volume now than I do a year ago, for instance. Okay. And you mentioned obviously that it's going to develop. So yeah, the, the sport's young. Um, where do you think it's going to go in the future? Like what, what's the future of, of high rocks? Cause it's, it's getting pretty popular, right? Yeah, it's getting uh, pretty popular. It's going really well, um, with the sport itself. Also like in the Netherlands, uh, uh, yeah, you first started with only one event and now already you have, uh, three. And also the number of participants at each event, uh, yes, going up and up and you actually see that over the entire globe. So that's really cool. Uh, yeah, where it will end, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I think because, um, yeah, the, the exercises are not technically that challenging. So I think it's, it can work really well as a mass participation event. 
and also therefore make it more durable over over the course or the, uh, over yeah multiple years. Um, and also you see that like the elite are getting more elite races and more prize money, which also makes sure that those guys are starting to invest more and more into the sport. So in terms of for the future, it looks good, I think, for Hyrox. And uh, do, you, do you think that there's going to be the potential to be a professional Hyrox athlete at some point? Uh, that uh, I think you you do, but you do maybe need some some sponsors around you, um, or maybe yeah. I at this moment in time, or also for the future, I don't see that the prize money or uh, the contracts from Hyrox will be that high that someone can live uh, a normal life with that kind of prize money or contract. So I thought I don't think so. I think it's um it's an interesting one to look at for the future as well because yeah. obviously um with with all of the the extra attention comes a possibility for prize money so I can imagine that some people um would want to go for it or would want to take the the chance on it so um yeah really interesting stuff hit a massive thanks for your time and effort today it's been a pleasure talking where can people find a little bit more about you and what you're up to um yeah I'm a, I'm starting to get more and more active on Instagram so you can follow me there it's just uh hit a uh, point w uh, or you can also find me on uh, linkedin um, and i also have my own website but it's only in dutch uh, so you can hit the translate button but uh, that one is called highperformancefactory.nl perfect hit up massive thanks for your time it's been a pleasure and i look forward to speaking again soon yeah thanks for having me and that's it once again a massive thanks to hitter for all of his hard work at today's podcast i really enjoyed it i'm sure you did at home too before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrowing library of sports science courses, which are broken down to bite-sized chunks, which means you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. And every time you complete one of those courses, you get a certificate of completion, which can prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested, you can get into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes for the next seven days. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, colleague, an athlete, or a friend means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content and that's it once again a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week <laughs>